I'm John Branion, professional comedian for more than 30 years. And I'm Amanda McKinney, John's daughter for more than 30 years. Our family believes laughing is a learned behavior, and we want to teach you how we do it. So welcome to the kitchen table of the comedian next door. Are we live yet? No, we're not. Yeah, we are. Is it working? I think it is. Are you sure? How come those little green buttons aren't lit up? What green buttons? The green buttons there. That's just for my headphones. Oh, And I can still hear with my headphones as long as the mics are live. But this lets me hear you even when your mic is muted, which is really confusing. Uh, It is. I'm going to stop looking at the board. Welcome to the podcast, everybody. We've got... uh, Hi, neighbor. Hi, hi, neighbor. We're trying to come up with a traditional or regular... um, Motto? Salutation that we can do oh. and hi neighbor is i like hi neighbor hi neighbor but that's what mr rogers did are we gonna get in trouble for saying like hi it. neighbor um hello neighbor and also in addition to a welcome a greeting every time i want to have a little tagline but we have several that we've been working on mm-hmm. and i'm opening this up to carl our neighbor that's right. you carl uh, if you're listening one of the things that we need to do is quickly uh quickly established that uh carl we've we've given you a name listener neighbor neighbor and and that name is carl and we'll we'll be explaining that um with regularity i also want to do a glossary and make that available i haven't got it done yet but there's going to be a glossary of terms for this podcast and so if you as you're listening if you come across a term that doesn't make sense to you then you can look it up in the glossary isn't okay. that helpful? Okay, so how about this? Mm. The comedian next door, your friendly neighborhood funny man. Do-do-do. Your friendly neighborhood funny man. You know, because it has to do with the neighborhood, and we're trying to create this sense of community. Why is your microphone not going? Oh, because... Because I'm not talking directly into it. Because yours is not number two either. Mine is. Okay. Um, you, you said you were going to I said I was not going to look, but I can't help board. it. I'm drawn to it. Like, you ever drawn... Have you ever uh, driven one of those cars that has, like, the the current mileage that you're getting? Like, on the, on the readout, it will tell you. I don't know if your van does that, but i It I've, does, but you have to choose between that and speedometer. And I usually, I usually stick watch on the, speedometer. the speedometer. Yeah. yeah, well, that's probably better. I, I've been... I'm just mesmerized by the the miles per gallon mileage. And so when it's, I, I look at it and I obsess with it. And so I have to do the same thing. I have to switch to something else or else I will find, or else I'm just driving, watching my miles per gallon go up and down. Okay. How about the comedian <laughs> next door? He's a comedy first responder and he's here to help. <laughs> Yeah? No? Yes? No? That's not bad. A comedy first responder. He's a humor first responder. A funny. Funny and first both start with S. Funny first he's a fellow. funny first responder, and he's here to help. And he's here to help. This kind of sounds like we're trying to create a, your superhero alter ego. That's what, I, that's what I had in my mind when you said he's here to help. I pictured, I pictured myself standing with a cape flowing behind me. And we're also down the road going to be, you know, introducing the rest of the family here and there. Um, They'll be in the glossary. So, Carl, neighbor, you can 
wait until you've met them before you start helping us in this department. But I want to have a little tagline for the whole Branyan clan too. Right now I've got, I really like this one. Uh-huh. Branyan family, you can tell us to turn the music down or come join the barbecue. Your call. <laughs> the barbecue? Yeah, like, again, barbecue is a thing that people do, like a block party. Ooh, block party. Right. You can tell us to turn the music down or, or come, come join, join the, the block party. party. No, you but have to say block? it has to specifically have to do with neighbors and yeah. neighborhoods. Okay, so all right. Because you're the comedian. Next That's what door. I thought you were going to say. I thought you were going to say, "Come join the party." Mm. And then when you threw barbecue in there, it caused me some consternation. Yeah, uh, we've been working on logos too. Mm-hmm. So that, that so far, Tabby's logo is beating the socks off of my logo. But that even has to do with being outside. There's houses, there's yards, mm-hmm. you know, and so barbecue, that's sort of the, you know, right. the sense I'm going for. Right. So if you've had a, if, if you've ever had something that you've created where you, you put it out and you have people give you feedback, criticisms on it, and, uh, and you've ever had your feelings hurt by that, um, I, I can say honestly that I am, am not suffering any sort of anxiety or sadness or depression for having my logo go down in flames, basically, to Tavi's logo. Because I know that just because my design did not suit the fancy of the people that we showed it to, that doesn't mean that they don't love me. It just means that they like Tavi's design better. Well, they were actually pretty positive about your design, too. Most people were like, I like them both. So. That does that does soften the blow a little bit, but so you're trying. So what you're doing is you're taking away my uh, emotional strength. You're, you're right. You're saying that I'm not quite as emotionally strong as I was hoping to portray myself. I'm discrediting your emotions. That's what right you're now. saying. So you just yeah, you're denying, you're denying my reality. So um, so give it some thought, neighbor. Spend some more time listening, and and you don't have to take the peaches. Either, if you've got a better one. No, that's my point. If you've got a better one than barbecue. I'm not putting this up to vote. It's a challenge. You come up with something different. and That's better. That's even better. What if they do come up with something better? Are you emotionally strong enough to to let yours go down in flames? I'm not sure. Like me? I might not be, but... Are we going to have to have a podcast where I I basically try to to pick up your feelings off the ground and... I'll have to be the next good grief (laughs) example. Story. Oh, I hope so. That'd be so fun. I have one more. Just, okay. just one more. If you need to borrow hedge clippers and a sense of humor, <laughs> he's your neighbor. Hedge clippers. Hedge clippers. And a sense of humor. That's funny. Can you borrow a sense of humor? That's, that's, I originally wanted to say if you need to borrow a cup of sugar and you knocked that one down because you say that you don't have sugar or something you I, don't, don't. I don't i think the cup of sugar was actually my idea wasn't it no the hedge clippers were your idea oh 100 percent. well said, that makes sense because because borrowing a cup of sugar is, is cliche and borrowing hedge clippers is well that's that's maybe part of it too is hedge clippers are more masculine than right. a cup of that sugar. was what you told me yeah you said you didn't want anyone borrowing sugar because... Not that women can't use hedge clippers. That's not <laughs> what I'm saying. You said men borrow tools from each other. Like yes. lawnmower was the first thing you said. Yes. If, if you were clippers. to put them up side by side, if you were to say, okay, hedge clippers or cup of sugar, which one is more likely to be borrowed by a woman? 
Yeah. What would you say? I just didn't think that that mattered because I was going for the cliche. I'm trying to juxtapose cliches about living next to a, a neighbor and being in community with the idea that you are, you have a special skill that, that we're inviting people to, mm-hmm. you know, include. Right. Okay. Well, I'm trying to juxtapose using big words like juxtapose with simpler words. We're trying to put stuff together. (laughs) Is together too many syllables? Juxtapose is a comparison, right? It's not just putting things together. You're actually sort of comparing things. I think actually it does mean to put them together. I think Mm. when you juxtapose, you, you... Put them together. And this is why our podcast historically goes for 90 minutes. I've been trying for the last three minutes to segue into our first segment. Okay. Which is good grief. (laughs) Good grief. Okay. This is a segment where we take some... Uh, suffering, some point of suffering or pain, and we try to find the humor in it. Uh, this week's Good Grief segment comes from a listener who is asking about uh, chronic pain. Uh, mm-hmm. And we got an email, and he says, Chronic regional pain syndrome. It starts at my head and finishes at my long middle toe. Had it ever since I beat up a tank in the army. Mm-hmm. That's what he said. Now, he's asking, where's the where's the humor in that? Where's the humor in chronic regional pain? Or how to maintain humor when you have chronic regional pain. Right. And the secret to the secret to maintaining a sense of humor in any sort of suffering is to look not at the suffering. That's the, the thing. The the suffering tends to be a distraction. The suffering tends to focus all of our attention. And so the secret to finding humor is to divert your attention away from the thing that's actually causing the suffering into some other area, all right? And what, what occurred to me is, first of all, the use of regional pain when it's something that starts in your head and goes all the way to your middle toe. That's pretty much the whole thing, right? Mm-hmm. That's not a region. That, that's the entirety of your being. Um, yeah. So I think that that's... It's funny to refer to something that goes from head to toe as regional pain. Maybe it doesn't actually affect his pinky toe. Well, that was the other thing that occurred to me because he specifically said, finishes at my long middle toe. Right. And I'm wondering, okay, first of all, if you've got, if you only have five toes, there isn't a middle toe, really. What? There's not, you don't have a middle toe if you've got, if you look like which, yes, you which, do. If no, you have which one would toes. be the, it the, would be this one. The middle toe the would middle be the one. middle one. The second one. one, the second one from, or the third one from the either left side. Or the, the right. The third one from either side, <laughs> okay. which is what middle means. So that would be the middle toe. Okay, well, so much for that. Um, <laughs> it's funny, Carl, when you don't know how to count. <laughs> It and occurred you, to me when you have an odd number of things, you can't have a middle try, one. You're trying to pass on wisdom, and you can't even <laughs> grasp the concept of a middle toe. Um, the third one from right. the From left. either side. <laughs> right. Okay, so your middle toe is the long toe. Right. And uh, historically, the toe that goes uh, wee, wee, wee all mm-hmm. the way home would be the, the pinky toe, the little toe. Right. Right? The so, baby. So his his toe, he'd have to rearrange the this little piggy went to market rhyme. 
And it would be this little piggy went to market. This little piggy stayed home. This, this little, little piggy, piggy cried wee, 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 wee all the way home. This, this little piggy, piggy had roast beef had and that little beef. piggy and, had none. And, yeah. Right. <laughs> <laughs> right. Right. So the, the third or the fifth little piggy had none. You have to, yeah. you have to reverse those two. Right. Um, oh, you're just going to reverse them? Because that's yeah. not what I did. I put the, I reversed everything after the, the third toe. Right. But it would be, if it was me and you, and I was doing this little piggy went to market, that would be kind of a fun way to confuse everybody. And then when they go, why is your third little piggy crying wee, 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 then you have the ability to explain, well, I have chronic pain now because mm -hmm. I got in a fight with a tank. I beat up a tank in the army. And that was the other thing that I thought, um, I thought was funny. And so mm -hmm. my, my counsel to this individual is you are already um, handling pain well. Mm -hmm. Because to say, I've had this chronic pain ever since I beat up a tank in the army. Right. You think you think I have it bad. You should see the tank. You should see the other guy. Right. I, I beat up a tank in the army. The, the advantage of being able to have a good sense of humor about everything in life is that it makes people want to hear you gripe and complain. You know, like if a guy says yeah. to me, I'm suffering with chronic pain because I beat up a tank, I am going to go, tell me more about this. Well, but if all, a guy comes up and says, you know, I suffer with chronic pain all the time. Every day I just hurt, hurt, hurt. I'm like, I don't know that I want to be around you and listen to you gripe right. and complain. According to your book, all comedy has to have an element of uh passion it has to be passionate and so complaining about a thing is something you need to teach yourself how to do even when you don't necessarily naturally feel strongly correct. about a thing it's actually a disadvantage in comedy correct you have to be passionate about everything so the the upside to having very serious chronic pain that you think about constantly is you are already passionate you about it you do not have to manufacture passion right it's already there right and so actually in this case correct me if i'm wrong but when they're going to tell a joke in this case, you would downplay the severity of the pain. Correct. Correct. And, and there, it's it's all about contrast, and it's right. all about exaggeration. And exaggeration doesn't necessarily mean making things bigger or louder. Sometimes exaggeration means taking big things and making them small. And so, yes, to understate the amount of uh, pain that you are having would be one option. But beating up a tank is a, is a fantastic uh, contrast and exaggeration already. I mean, if you, you picture yourself going to battle you versus a tank, you know, and, and in this corner, weighing in at 180 pounds, we've got this guy and his opponent in this corner. Carl, wait, we've got Carl. We've in got Carl. Corner. And in this corner, weighing in at how much do you think 40 tons <laughs> made of yeah, i should have looked it up i am gonna look it up you see know, how close you were armed only with a uh with a howitzer cannon we have a tank how much does a tank weigh weigh i'm sure that there are different yeah we should have looked this up it's going to depend on the tank I'm oh sure. yeah okay so we've got a um m i no, M1 versus an M1A1. An M1 Abrams. They're pretty close, though. The yeah. The heavier one is 67 tons. The smaller is 60. Wow, I said 40 tons. That was, was not a bad guess. Yeah, it wasn't 
totally off. But when you're off by 20 tons, that's quite oh, a bit. Oh, wait a minute. Here we go. 20 tons is a lot. This one, the current generation of main battle tanks, and there's like several of them, weigh in between 50 and 75. Mm. Short tons. What's a short ton? I don't know. <laughs> I don't know okay, we sh- can plunge down <laughs> no, that rabbit no, can, hole pretty quick. Let's go as far as we can and unravel this. Yeah, and if you're talking about to, to be off by 20 tons... If you're fighting a human being, what what difference does it make? Whether the tank weighs 40 tons or 60 tons, if you're going to go, you know, yeah. fisticuffs with it. Well, so there you go. That's, that's, that you could really. I want to encourage you. I want to encourage you to keep doing what you're doing. Keep, keep talking about the, uh, the pain that you're suffering as the result of fighting with a tank. Right. And. Uh, and losing or or winning the fact that you are still around having pain all of these years later right. is, is actually a victory. is a victory yeah you you didn't if you were if you were not here to tell the story about fighting with the tank then you would have lost but the fact that you are here telling the tale regaling us with the tale of how you came to suffer this pain uh, that's a victory you're a winner and that's the angle that I would use when I told the story I would say I didn't lose because I'm right here talking to you. If I had if I'd lost, right. I wouldn't be here. Well, and so let me tell you how I won my fight with a tank. I was going to say we could spend like probably an entire podcast dedicated just to talking to people about chronic pain and different types of it. Mm-hmm. But Carl, if you also have a story that's not specific to um, like. Uh, regional pain that that's as a result of an injury in a war and you want to ask about um your own pain you can still send it in mm-hmm. you can still send us your question about you know what what are the details of yours maybe it's a uh, tooth pain or maybe you're you know struggling with that uh, maybe it's more like uh mental or you know depressive anxiety whatever and if that's what you're going through, we can actually talk specific punchlines about that we stuff. Are, we are interested in talking about things that cause you grief. We are we're, we're interested in, we're interest, in your pain. We're interested in your pain uh, because this is important. How to deal with suffering and how to deal with, with pain is why we have a sense of humor. And there are a lot of people who, who don't handle suffering well. They don't handle grief well. And that's what this segment is all about. So yes, if you have something that is legitimately causing you grief and you are asking, what's funny about this? Where, where, what's, what could possibly be funny about this horrific tragedy that I am suffering? Send it in and we will, we will engage. We'll talk we'll, about it. And we'll talk about it and we will show you what's funny about it. And that's good grief. I'm going to push the button again. Good grief. So turn down your uh, headphones. <laughs> Do you have to announce that you're going to push the button? Yeah, because you get you get upset because it <laughs> blows your eardrums out. I guess, I guess I can't decide whether or not the sound effect itself is the segue or whether your announcement of the segue is the segue. Keep going. You, I have you to... stopped recording. so I didn't stop recording. It's oh. recording. I, well, keep... you, should, you should stop recording. Okay, so I just had to go and shoo my kids out of the kitchen where they were yelling. They See, they don't fighting. know that though. They don't know that because all that happened was that it just it just stopped. I know, and but so, no, they don't. They know that you said you need to stop recording. Yeah, so. I, just, I shouldn't have said that. That won't happen anymore. From now on, I'm not going to announce that. We're, yeah, okay, it will happen again. Anyway, 
It's my turn, I think. Don't make promises I can't keep. Isn't it? Yeah, it's your turn. It's time for my segment. Mm-hmm. I have to remember which button it is. And see, this is why. Peaches in a whirl. There it is. <laughs> Found it. So what are you whirling about this week? Well, first of all, um, Peaches is my nickname for as long as I can remember. It's dad's nickname for me. And historically, on our old podcast, mm-hmm. um, dad would usually start the episode saying, well, the Peaches is all in a whirl today. Right. And that was rarely true but it was mm. i don't think he really had another way to begin the episode this was back before we had buttons and things right we didn't have buttons yet and but uh, i would use the in a world because mandy is uh, is also passionate about many many things and so in this uh, in this family if you have something to say then you understand that in order to make it uh in order for anyone to listen in to you at all. In order for anybody all, to listen to you, right. You have to yell it and you, say it with feeling. <laughs> That's right. You have to ratchet it up. Because we all have things that we want to talk about. And so we tend to listen to the person who is the most passionate about their thing. And so the peaches would get in a whirl so that we would listen to her. Yeah, well, today I really was ranting even before we turned on the recorder. And I think it's only fair to share with our new neighbor, Carl, mm-hmm. about one of the very first times I ever got flack you know, serious flack from fellow Christians mm-hmm. on my blog because of something that I had written. Um, I posted it. It had to do with marriage. Actually, <clears throat> specifically had to do with divorce. I posted it with permission from my husband because I kind of had a sense that it was going to be a little bit inflammatory, mm-hmm. but I wanted to make sure that he supported everything that I was saying. And sure enough, I think there was one person who was like, wow, this really this really increases my respect for you guys. And, you know, I really appreciate that you were willing to put yourself out there and say this, but, um, but Uh everybody else was, was like, Oh, you have gone way too far. Actually, this criticism was you care more about divorce than God himself. That's what. (laughs) So tell, tell them what you said in your (laughs) blog. Well, I'm just, I want to ratchet it up really high. So everybody can be like, Oh, this is bad. She said something on her blog that triggered a whole lot of Christians in regard to marriage. Bad. So what do you, what you know, before she tells you, just think about what you could say on a blog that would trigger a bunch of Christians right. in regards to marriage. Marriage and divorce. And divorce. Um, and so what I said, I didn't even pull up the original post just now, but the basic was I started out talking about how we had just moved into a new house and we had entered into a lot of contracts lately, like cell phones. We needed to get new ones. We had to set up electricity and gas and water. And I said, you know, we're right. We're signing a bunch of contracts right now. There's a bunch of fine print. We've barely read any of it. We just mm-hmm. slapdash our signatures on you those can't things. Read it all. Um, but I said, you know, the thing about a contract in the United States is that if one party violates the terms, then that nullifies the entire contract for everyone. And so, right. whatever they do, if they don't uphold their side, then the other party is free to go and not be, you know, not be obliged to continue doing what they said they were going to do anymore. And I said, but I don't believe that marriage is that way, at least not how we currently do it. We, we don't enter into contracts with, with fine print, or if we do, we don't say it out loud. We don't acknowledge that there is all of this fine print or all of these loopholes or exceptions. Right. What do we do when we get married? We say, I promise before God and the rest of our friends and family, and these that witnesses. I will 
stand by and be faithful and stay in this marriage covenant uh, for Chill. richer or poorer in sickness and health and for better or, or worse, worse until, until death parts us. Right. That's what we say. That's what we say. And I just And everybody is on board with that. All the witnesses nod and they say amen and they right. wipe tears out of their eyes while all of this is happening because right. this is a lifelong commitment that we are making but and everybody understands it is that. Then I started hearing people, pastors, counselors, people who were contemplating divorce or had been through divorces themselves who were like, well, but there is that whole exception for marital unfaithfulness mm -hmm. and then people were going even further like well unfaithfulness could mean a whole host of things too like right. you know jesus says if you even look at a woman lustfully you've committed adultery so, so you've there been you unfaithful go. there you and go so i started thinking are, is anyone bound by those vows at all because you know if if one person lusts and they've been unfaithful and now that's grounds for divorce right uh then somebody looks at porn why are we unfaithful. even saying that? Why aren't we talking about this prior to marriage, first of all? And why don't we just adjust the vows on our wedding day to reflect what we really mean? If that's really what we mean, then why don't we just adjust the vows? And I then said in my own blog post, I just want to clarify that what I said on my wedding day to Luke was until death. And I knew what I was saying, and I meant that. And so if he's, you know, God forbid, if he does something completely out of character and he is unfaithful in some way or another. If mm -hmm. I, if he starts to pose a physical threat to our family or whatever, right. um, you know, it would be a tragedy and our marriage as we currently experience it would be over, but I would still be bound to what I said, which is I'm not free to re I'm not free to marry somebody else. I'm not free to divorce him and marry somebody else and start a new quote marriage, which is not quite so worse as this one has become worse because I said right. for better or worse, or worse, I am going to abide by my, and there were no vows. qualifications as to right. how much worse I'm willing to right. tolerate. And so I, I even this. said, I got a bunch of flack. I got people who were like, again, you care more about divorce than God himself does. And it's, which is a bold proclamation. You don't care about people who are abused. You uh, you have no grace for people who are cheated on. You don't know what it's like. And I said, well, I'm saying that even if, again, heaven forbid, that I do experience what that's like. What I'm saying is, I do not have permission to to change what I meant when I said it on June 14th, 2008. You, you basically don't have a way to break a promise built right. into your right. I made a wow. promise and this is what I meant when I, when I made that promise. And so I said, I'm fully aware that those of you who, some of you were even at my wedding and you witnessed it and you didn't understand <laughs> what I was saying. I get that. Right. But I'm telling you, if you try to talk me into divorcing and going and finding somebody who's not quite so much worse the way that Luke has been become worse, you're wrong to try to talk me into doing that. And that's where heads started to explode. Right, right. Yeah. Because it is... Uh, it's just a given that we we understand marriage is something that is supposed to make us feel good. That's the reason that we do it. And the reason we take those vows, for better or for worse, until death do us part, is because we don't really believe it's going to be worse. We don't, on our wedding day, we're not thinking about how bad things could be down the road. There's a lot of really terrible things that can and well, do happen to people. And again, if they are, if you're thinking of those things, and if they really are exceptions, what is the problem with just saying so up front on the wedding day? Well, what is the problem? 
The problem is that nobody wants to to say it out loud. They know how it sounds. They know that they know how conditional love sounds, and they realize that having a wedding ceremony at all is pretty much pointless if you add if you attach all these exceptions. Right, but if you're, but is, but is conditional love? Is there another kind? Do we do we really have unconditional love? I mean, I've heard people say that God gives us unconditional love, but I don't think that's true. I think that the, the Jesus said, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. Um, I should have I said will. conditional marriage, not necessarily talking about love, because most divorced people will say, I still love my ex, mm-hmm. but I'm going to love him. And it's usually From like afar. 65% of the divorces <laughs> in the church are women. Um and they all they're always they always believe they're the exceptions. They always believe he did it first. He ended the marriage first. I mean, they, that will always be the claim. And I'm not I am not saying that that is not the case. What I'm saying is that's the story over and over and over again. And well, that nobody, they wouldn't say it's conditional love. They're you, saying you it's conditional to. marriage. You have to if you're if you're a Christian person and you're going to file for divorce, you have to make it the other person's fault. Because it doesn't make sense to say no. She's a she's a great wife. She's uh, she's been faithful to me, and and she's taken care of me, and she's raised the kids. I mean, she's a, she's a peach of a gal, but I'm divorcing her. I mean, that that's right. You can't do that. Right. Well, so that, you, it's human. You have to make them it's not a, just in the church because yeah, you have to convince yourself that the other person's a bad guy, and that makes you the good guy automatically. And and we didn't want divorce, but this is just the way that the, the everything shook out. Right. But they would say it's not conditional love, it's conditional marriage. And mm-hmm. that's when I started thinking in terms of the children and how the rest of the family works. And does it work this way with everybody? Is it possible to divorce your children when they are unfaithful to you know the relationship somehow? When they is it is and it possible the, for them the to do something? The answer, of course, is yes. Well, you don't call it divorce. But people separate themselves from uh, from other people in their families all the time. We don't we don't stick by anybody in this culture anymore when they make us unhappy, and we'll we'll tolerate it to a certain point as long as it makes us look good because we like the idea of other people looking at us as the long suffering uh, victim. Oh, that person! They, the things he puts up with from his wife, he is just. What a what a paragon of virtue that man is, or what a paragon of virtue that woman is because her husband is a think jerk. That, I don't necessarily think that's happening anymore. I don't think that anybody is seen as a paragon of virtue for putting up with it. I think that they are told that they're they, they got a bad message from the church for thinking that they need to be a doormat. You're right. not seen as a good person for being a doormat. You're right. Seen well, as but that that's my point. My point is that there there's a there for a little while until things get really bad and people start to notice and when then things they, aren't better they get worse then they start yeah. to then they start to shame you for actually staying in relationships for you know i don't know how you can don't you have any self-respect you're gonna you're gonna allow that person to to push you around and kick you around and use you i mean that's not what god would want i've heard people be counseled that that's not what god wants god doesn't right. expect you to be a doormat well, anyway, I just, I am sure we'll revisit this topic. I just thought that we should probably lay it out there that I am the type of person who cares more about divorce than uh, God himself apparently does. And <laughs> maybe, apparently, maybe, you have it on good authority from people who know what God thinks. Yeah, and maybe we can call this segment Peaches Puts Others in a Whirl, because that's really more what that was. <laughs> 
I had been in a whirl when I wrote the post, but by the time I was finished writing it, I was very happy with it. And then everybody else, it was everybody else's turn to go swirling off, <laughs> off the handle. Well, it's, it is, I, I think the, the most compelling part of that uh, blog post and of this concept is, is what if people actually wrote wedding vows that they intended to keep? Right. Rather than these, rather than these nice-sounding, beautiful fairy tale mm-hmm. phrases that we throw until death do us part, I, for better or we worse. We wrote our own vows, Luke and I. And one of the things that Luke said, which really, really, I don't know who in his family. <laughs> I don't. I don't want to throw anybody under the bus, and I don't remember exactly who it was. But there were people in his family. I for sure who were like offended for me because of what Luke wrote in his vows, and he specifically said. I don't need you to make me happy, but I want, you know, I want you in my life in the future. Right. And, and they were triggered. Why? Because they, they don't know you. It's not romantic. And right. And I had to explain to them, I had to defend my new husband to his own family. I was like, we've had that conversation right. dozens of times. We dated for four years. We met in high school at like 16. And so we, <laughs> we dated for a long time before we were able to get married and we had had the conversation a whole bunch. And I was like, why are you mad about that? Like, I am glad that he is thoughtful enough to think about what he's saying to me, not just to tell me what he thinks I want to hear, but to tell me what he thinks is true. But he, he did know you and you're not one, you're not one to swoon, uh, from flowery words, but I will bet knowing you like I do that that was a pretty, romantic thing to say to you well we framed our vows and put them in our bedroom and to this day i don't look back and think "Ugh, we were such stupid kids like i think yeah that was what we meant and i i would have rolled my eyes and been like who is this who wrote these if he had said something i can't take another step without you in my life you are the breath in my lungs you are the breath you are the sunshine on my face if if it weren't you it wouldn't be anybody baby yeah the only one for me (laughs) The only one. And that's exactly yeah. what you're talking about is the vows like that, that people take on their wedding days. It's crap. It, it, well, it's, it's, if you go, <laughs> if you go 75 years yeah. and you still maintain that and feel that way, great. But it's the people who make it three or four years. And then they're like, boy, what a mistake I made. And it's like, yeah, you look like an idiot now. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You perjured yourself. Right. You lied. And I try my best not to say things that could, that are outside of my control. I try not to make promises that are outside of my control to keep. And that's just it. I cannot promise to feel a certain way. I think that, I think that was in there too. I think Luke said, I can't promise to always feel a certain way about you. Right. But I can promise to do my best to. That is so profoundly important to understand that, that you don't feel the same way on your wedding day that you feel a year later. And people base their their whole they base all their relationships on how they feel yep and that's the problem and i i would agree with you i think it would be it would certainly be more interesting to go to weddings if people were actually saying what they meant i'm, I'm worried that carl our new neighbor is going to think that this is actually comedy and now while it is funny we're it's funny because nobody nobody true. does this we're serious in yeah. the, in that respect feel free to laugh but I, a comedian writes your wedding vows would actually be a great segment if if people weren't going to be like, oh, he's just joking. Oh, I could totally do that. 
I could I could whip up wedding vows. If you want me to write your wedding vows for you, send us a send us an email at uh, next door next door at johnbranion.com is the email. Yeah. But uh, well, I will I will totally write some. <laughs> you could write some wedding vows for people too. Yeah, but I, the problem is when it comes to this stuff, I get like painfully serious, like cutthroat. <laughs> you laugh at it because you're like, geez, but. It would somebody would take a, the right sense of humor to see it as a funny thing. They'd be like, "This that's, isn't a comedian writes the vows. This that's is a true. This is a drill sergeant writes vows." Well, there's it, it was. I was having a conversation with somebody in our family a few years ago about um, the uh, the idea of how much how much weight is the bride allowed to put on before you can divorce her and be justified? And we were doing it. You know, ironically, it was right. intended to be funny. You know, what's what's the limit? But it's true. I mean, people and people don't articulate that. And if you, what if you put that in your vows? You're allowed to gain 25 pounds, no more, and right. then and then, it, or else it's over. You're allowed I to cut your you, hair, but only so short. And I then could it's help over. you come up with ways Christian people are going to argue that that thing they don't like is actually marital unfaithfulness, <laughs> and Jesus wants you to divorce. Because, like in that case, she gains too much weight. Obviously, gluttonous. Right. Obviously not a real Christian. Right. She ended the vows first. She ended right. the marriage She first. did it. She's yeah, the one who fault. walked away. I happened to file the papers, but she's the right. one that walked away. She just was too fat. Not that I have a problem with fatness. It's just, you know, gluttony. Right. Yeah. Right. And I I just can't stay married to somebody who doesn't uh, who doesn't Her think... Her body's not a temple. Yeah, they don't value them themselves more than that. Yeah. They, and they don't... <laughs> this is, yeah. All of those things would be so... Gosh, I would... I would make it a hobby. I would find a wedding to go to every weekend just to listen to the vows. That You'd would have be to go so the day before. Go to the rehearsal the day before and you could help them. Be like, hey, you want any last minute changes? <laughs> Let me see your vows real quick. Real quick. Think about how interesting it would be. It's like, I wonder what they're going to say. I wonder what their vows are going to be. Rather than the uh, same old trite uh, insincere. Oh, we're going to stay married until death do us part. We all know that's not that's true. That's not true. They're, they're going to be divorced four or five years from now. Oh. But let's hear. Let's hear what it is that's going to cause them to split up. All right, that's peaches <laughs> in a whirl. Should I play it again? Peaches in a whirl. <laughs> that was that. And now, now. Oh, we don't have an announcement. That's John, it's John Brandon's Hill to die on. You usually say it. Yeah, I know. Do you want me to do it again? <laughs> uh, no, you don't have to do it again, but we need to put a, we need to record some of these. I'm tired of saying the same thing every time. You're tired of saying no John Brandon's Hill to die on. This what is, happens in this segment is it's the final, final thoughts from John Brandon where he proposes a uh, cultural battle that he is ready to tackle I'm, and people often ask are you really willing to die on that hill when usually they think and assume the answer is no because who wants to fight about silly stuff well john branion does <laughs> and his question in response is i don't know if this is a hill i want to die on is this a hill you feel passionate about to kill me on right and that's why we need to pre-record it so yeah, that, that we don't drone long. on and on that was pretty long yeah. um so today i uh, want to talk about the uh, a thing that I read from Tim Keller. And oh man, this is, sounds like a long hill. Yeah, well, it's a pretty big hill, but uh -oh. uh, we can... Uh, Tim Keller is a guy who I have 
over the years had a lot of respect for, and he wrote a book called Reason for God that is in my top three books for uh, of, of being influential in my development of my theology. So I'm I'm a fan of Tim Keller. I'm not I'm not trying to uh, to say that that he's not a that he's not a Christian. Um, I'm not trying to judge his his intentions, but the past few years, as I've seen what Tim has been saying publicly on his Twitter feed primarily and in social media, I'm a little concerned because he seems to be sliding away from the Christian orthodoxy that I first found so uh, compelling in him and the way he defended it in Reason for God. So he, he wrote on Twitter, uh, recently, no one can prove any moral values to be true. They are, in the end, all matters of faith. Much of the rage on Twitter is because we are holding others to moral values they don't own and we can't prove. Saying we all know this moral to be true is not an argument. It's an assertion that can't be proven. Interestingly, the Christian sex ethic has been embraced and practiced by billions of people for centuries and across more cultures than any other faith. It is agreed upon by all branches of Christianity, uh, of Christianity, Orthodox, Roman Catholic, and Protestant. It overturned the older Greco-Roman and and uh, uh, wait a minute. It overturned the older Greco-Roman shame and honor sex ethic that privileged males. And the aristocracy. Did you listen to that? She left the room. No, I had to go discipline. But I've read it, though. I read it before. Okay, so you know what I'm talking about. Yeah. All right. So uh, it introduced the idea of consent that many say we all just know this is true. But history shows for centuries this simple simply wasn't the case. So even if you disagree with this great and historical ethical tradition, we must contend with it since its worldview... Uh, since we must contend with it since worldwide it is growing while the secular understanding is decreasing. Okay, so basically what he's saying is that this Judeo-Christian ethic regards to sexuality specifically, but morality in general um, can't be proven. And mm-hmm. so we, to, to appeal to somebody and say, well, you just know that this is morally correct um, is not an argument. We can't say that. And what's disappointing about this is that this is coming from a guy who professes to be a Christian. And the fact is that with a Christian worldview, you can prove that certain morals are true and others are not. We have the law, according to the New Testament, uh, written on our hearts. And according to the New Testament, the Jews and the Gentiles, everybody, every human being, basically knows the law, because it's written on their heart. And Romans tells us that when people, even if they don't have the law, even when the Gentiles behave in such a way that they are in accordance with the law, then they are demonstrating that the law is written on their heart. In other words, their conscience is convicting them or, uh, or telling them that what they're doing is, is not true. That is proof that there is such a thing as right and wrong as good and evil and people even if they don't claim to be christians even if they don't say that they have any particular religious um, point of view are still uh, they're still bound by a 
uh, basic morality that all people possess and all people know is there. There are certain ways that we are supposed to behave towards other people that are correct. And everybody knows that. And it's disappointing to me, and I will die on this hill. It's disappointing to me that a guy like Tim Keller, who professes on, at one point that all of reality is rooted in the existence of God. If there is no God, then he's right. There's no, there's no morality that can be proven. Everybody is basically deciding for themselves what's right and wrong. But if God exists, then God's nature determines what's true. Right, but doesn't he even say in Reason for God that none of those arguments were proof? That's, it sounds like you're proposing war over the word proof and that there's not even really a disagreement there. Because Well, why is he... What's, what is the um, purpose of saying this on Twitter? Because how is this going to be interpreted? How, he's, he's, what, what, what's going to happen is people are going to say, yeah, see, you Christians who think that you've got the... You, th- you think you've got it figured out and your, your ethics and your morality are correct... It's not. You can't prove it. He followed it up with, but the secular, the secular idea of what's right and wrong has been diminishing, and the religious idea of what's right and wrong has been prevailing. And he's he is saying that that is evidence of that same conscience that you're talking about. It's just that he's calling it evidence, or he didn't actually use even the word evidence there. But in his book, he's talking about evidence and reasons for God. He doesn't call his book proof of God. Right. He calls it reasons for God. And I, I think that that is the same thing that he's saying there. That was actually, to me, that post was the most encouraging thing that Tim Keller has said recently. And I think that the conservatives, particularly on Gab, are intentionally trying to find things to be mad at Tim Keller about now. And I, I wondered if you'd figure out a way to slam Gab before and we I don't think this. they need to. I don't think that they, I think that there is plenty of stuff that he's said lately in the last few years that's questionable. And I think that he's... I think that he has been trying to to appear like this great neutral moderate guy who's able to see both sides of everything all the time to his own detriment. All right, so we'll take Tim Keller out of the mix, and I will say that the hill that I'm going to die on is that there is... There is an actual objective morality that exists. Right. And Christianity um, speaks to that and explains how that exists. Right. Yes. And to say that that there's uh, morality, uh, particularly our morality, that Christian morality um, can't be proven, while that's... (laughs) True. While that's true, that's I don't true. want it's, to talk about the fact that it's true. It's, well, it's true, but it's not helpful. I mean, it's not helpful. You can't really prove anything. Yes, it is. It's helpful for you not avoiding being a fundamentalist. But you can't prove anything if you're right. going to say that. I can't prove my own existence. Correct. Again, I'm pretty sure that's in the book. I The book that you love and you recommended to me and I have also recommended to many others because it's true. Yeah, you can't prove it. I don't know why you're coughing on the word proof now, but that's... That's the case. It's it can't be proven, and right, I don't right, think player sound effect. Oh, is, <laughs> okay. <laughs> I believe John Brandon died on that hill. <laughs> I said I was willing to die on it, so apparently I got killed. You can you can email us at next door. At johnbranion.com if you want to tell Right. This us. segment isn't called The Hill John Brannion Survives On. Uh, uh, tell us if you think that that, that, that was a uh, wise hill to choose to die on or not. <laughs> I have my doubts. 
Anyway, we also need to record a, ro- a wrap up at the end. All right, go for it. Uh, oh, hold on. Let me pause. Okay, we've been too wordy today. Wait, you're muted. Okay, say goodbye. We're okay. done. We're done. Okay, goodbye. <laughs> goodbye. Goodbye, Carl. It's not still not working. It's working. Okay. I told you it kind of fades in. Okay. Okay. Goodbye. We're done. <laughs> goodbye. Look for John Branion on MeWe and Gab. Also, be part of the show by sending your questions to nextdoor at johnbranion.com. See you next time, neighbor.